Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. Well, not Teresa Tamio, but Sherry Kennedy Brownrigg in for Teresa, who's on the La Dolce Fide, the Sweet Life of Faith pilgrimage with her husband, Dom, uh, Deacon Dominic, right now. So pray for them. They're having a wonderful time, I'm sure, and a spirit-filled oh, pilgrimage. So wonderful. So wonderful to think about going on pilgrimage. Well, coming up on the show today, Gail Buckley Berenger joins us to talk about Scripture. Always look forward to that. We'll talk about a new documentary that is out just in time for Vocations Awareness Week. That is this week that provides a glimpse into the life of seminarians studying for the priesthood, but through the lens of fraternity and sportsmanship. Doesn't that sound interesting? Well, that's going to be a great conversation. And issue one, there's a ballot measure that Ohio will vote on tomorrow that would enshrine a right to abortion in the state's constitution. We'll talk more about that later. But let's talk a little bit about it right now. So, again, Election Day tomorrow, it's on the ballot. And this issue would allow abortions up to the point of birth and would end parental consent and notification for minors receiving abortions. And some even say that this very vague language of the law would also allow a minor to receive a sex change without the parents ever knowing that it's taking place. Really, really insidious, something we need to pray for. And if you're listening to us in Ohio today, please, I know... I know you're probably pro-life if you're listening to the show. Make sure you get to the polls and vote. And Bishop Michael Burbridge of the Arlington Diocese, so it's not just happening there, has issued a letter ahead of Election Day that encourages voters in Virginia to vote against abortion, calling it a choice between good and evil. And there isn't necessarily an issue or a ballot measure that is on the ballot for or against abortion, but abortion is one of the top issues in Virginia because the state Senate has a narrow 22 to 18 pro-abortion majority, which has shot down many pro-life bills supported by the pro-life majority in the House of Delegates and by the Republican governor there. And it would only take a net gain of two Senate seats to establish a pro-life majority in the chamber. Because the they have uh, Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears, who is pro-life, and the Lieutenant Governor holds the tie-breaking vote. So you see how that works. So if you're in Virginia, make sure that you vote against abortion. Follow what your bishop is saying. We'll have to have my good friend Billy Atwell on. He's the communication director there for the diocese and maybe see how that went later on this week. But, you know, after the overturning of Roe v. Wade, we have seen so many radical pro-abortion bills that are being pushed all over the U.S. Now, I like to be able to sometimes highlight some of the good things that are happening, like in St. Louis. So in St. Louis, earlier this year, a judge blocked the city of St. Louis from forcing taxpayers to support killing unborn babies in abortions. So what was happening is the city had gotten $1.75 million in COVID relief funds to help women get abortions in other states. They were actually going to be spending taxpayer money to help women get abortions in other states. Yes, but Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey sued the state to block spending the funds this way, and now the legislature is considering a proposal to spend the money on maternal health and forgiving medical debt incurred in pregnancy. Isn't that wonderful? Be so happy to see that really reaching out to uh, those mothers and helping them in their time of need and helping them to choose life. Pro-lifers are always accused of caring more about the baby than the woman. I mean, that's one of the things that they always say. That's why I love this this suit in um, and this proposal in St. Louis to really, really help mothers, not just focusing on the baby, because we know that that's not the case. But crisis pregnancy centers, I mean, you've been across the country on the front lines. You prove that that's not true, that we only focus on the child. And ever since Roe v. Wade was instituted in 73, crisis pregnancy centers and and maternity homes have been doing really, really important works. And the USCCB's pro-life committee established a few years ago 
Moms in Need program, actually Walking with Moms in Need, that came out after the uh, Roe v. Wade was struck down. And this is a, well, it's actually kind of a parish program, I guess you would call it, but it provides tools for parishes to respond to women who have unwanted pregnancies and whether or not they're parishioners. And it helps every person who belongs to a parish respond to the needs of women who need help. And those things might be connecting them with the Crisis Pregnancy Center, holding baby showers, collecting resources from the parish for the pregnant mom. And the list can be as creative as the parish or the people want to make it. It's really something that the parish can put into place that corresponds with really the charism of the parish, you know, the outside community, where they're placed, that sort of thing, how many people they have. But it's been really doing wonders across the, uh, across the country. In fact, my parish, I'm so proud of them. They do a terrific job with walking with moms in need. So, for example, we have a food pantry that serves the entire city. And we often see women who are pregnant there. And fortunately, where I live in Nebraska, the state bans abortion at 12 weeks. So when you see someone um, who is pregnant, you can often see that they are indeed pregnant. That's not the case in all states because it's really difficult to sometimes intervene at that point before a mother can choose abortion and provide her with the choices, with the resources that she needs to bring that child to full term and to give the child life. But where I am, it's a, it's a little bit easier. But the volunteers at this food pantry have been specifically trained to talk to pregnant moms, discover what needs they might have, and to help them to meet those needs beyond that immediate food need, the reason why they're at that, that uh, pantry in the first place. And it's just absolutely wonderful. Because we all know abortion, it's, as Bishop Bainbridge said, or Burbridge rather said of the Arlington Diocese, that it's really a choice between good and evil, and that's exactly what it is. You don't need to look very far. Uh, you can see the, the vitriol, the anger, the hate in protesters who are protesting a lack of access to abortion, those who are pro-abortion. And even when you just try to talk to somebody who is vehemently pro-abortion, it's really, really difficult to get beyond that hate and their anger and help them to realize that really what this is, it's very, very simple. It boils down to ending a human life, and that human life is a very defenseless child. So I always call abortion Satan's greatest work. Hmm. Finally, before we head to news, you heard about this story, the church in Brooklyn. Well, there was a music video, which now has amassed nearly 4 million views, that shows pop star Sabrina Carpenter, who I don't even know who she is, (laughs) dancing provocatively on the altar at the historic 19th century Annunciation of the Blessed Virgin Mary Church in Brooklyn. Ugh. That just makes my stomach turn to think about us. Well, the pastor there actually said yes to this. He said, yeah, that's fine. You go ahead and do it. And, of course, now he's being disciplined and the church is being reconsecrated. Thank the Lord that um, the bishop acted very quickly. But I'm telling you, that is a terrible, terrible sacrilege. Oh. All right. Well, we're coming up on nine minutes past the hour wherever you live. And it is time for news. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken made a pair of unannounced visits in the Middle East on Sunday. First, Blinken met with Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas during a surprise stop in the occupied West Bank. Later, he traveled to Iraq on the third day of his tour of the region as the war between Israel and Hamas rages. Speaking in Baghdad, Blinken said he believes progress is being made as the U.S. works to keep the conflict from spreading. A large pro-Israel rally is scheduled for late this afternoon in Manhattan, about a month into the Israel-Hamas war. Scott Pringle reports. This is being called the United for Israel Vigil and Rally, planned for Central Park West from 83rd to 85th Streets at 5.30 this afternoon. Elected officials and community leaders are expected to speak, and organizers say there will be performances as well. Officers have put barricades out and have been moving vehicles in anticipation of a big crowd. Meanwhile, several pro-Palestinian rallies took place in New York City over the weekend, including marches in Brooklyn. Pope Francis says wars in the Middle East and Ukraine are killing the future of children. 
In his Angelus prayer on Sunday, the Pope again appealed for a ceasefire by Israeli forces in Gaza and for Hamas to release the over 200 Israelis it's holding hostage. In his prayer, Francis asked the faithful to think about all the children involved in the war in Israel and Gaza, as well as in Ukraine and what he called other conflicts. The executive director of the United Nations World Food Program is addressing concerns that humanitarian aid is not getting to civilians in Gaza. Trey Thomas has more. Cindy McCain says her biggest concern is not being able to get enough trucks through the Rafah crossing from Egypt into Gaza. In any war zone, I can't tell you that 100% of the aid is going to go where it's supposed to go. But uh, with the, the implementation of what our people do, our tracking tracing methods, we have a good chance of being sure that it does get to where it's supposed to go. McCain says the United Nations has had an operation in Gaza for many years, and staff members are tuned in to what's happening. I'm Trey Thomas. Voters in key parts of the country will head to the polls Tuesday. Kentucky's Democratic Governor Andy Bashir is running to win a second term against Republican challenger Daniel Cameron, who currently serves as the state's attorney general and has been endorsed by Donald Trump. In Mississippi, Republican Governor Tate Reeves is seeking re-election. He's facing challenger Brandon Presley, who's vying to be the state's first Democratic governor in two decades. Meanwhile, in Ohio, abortion rights, as we talked about, are on the ballot there. Classes are canceled again today in the Portland Public Schools District as the teacher strike enters its second week. Today marks day four of the strike that began last Wednesday following months of failed contract negotiations between the district and the teachers' union. Last week, the school district asked the state of Oregon to give it the funding it needs to fulfill the union's demands. The district says the teachers' union is calling for changes that would cost $220 million more than it currently has in its budget. The Portland Association of Teachers is demanding smaller classroom sizes and a pay raise of 21% over three years. Former President Donald Trump is expected to testify at a civil fraud trial in New York today. Scott Pringle reports. Donald Trump is expected to be asked about his wealth and his business dealings under oath. State Attorney General Letitia James is accusing Trump of inflating his net worth so the Trump Organization could obtain more favorable loans. James is seeking a $250 million fine and also a ban on Trump's company from doing business in New York State. Two of Trump's sons previously testified and they blamed accountants for any incorrect numbers given to the bank's for loans. Driving deaths are down in Iowa. State officials attribute the 48% drop over the past decade to the graduated licensing program. Continuing to slowly allow more privileges for teens until they gain that experience, until they develop and are more able to make better decisions is what we would always encourage. That's Brett Jepkes with the Governor's Safety Bureau. He says despite improvements over the past 20 years, teens are still four times as likely to die in a crash. Get ready for this next story. A spider species is spreading. A study from Clemson University says Euro spiders are spreading beyond South Carolina and could inhabit most of the eastern U.S. The spiders are large, brightly colored, and use their webs to travel in the wind. They are venomous, but researchers say they don't bite humans or pets unless they are cornered. So do not corner the URL spider. Hmm. And finally, the last phase of the National World War II Museum in New Orleans is complete and now open. Michael Kastner has more. More than a dozen World War II vets and Holocaust survivors attended Friday's opening ceremony for the $47 million Liberation Pavilion. Also in attendance was Academy Award-winning actor Tom Hanks. The new edition features an exhibit about Anne Frank, including a replica of the concealed apartment where she and her family hid from the Nazis for two years. I'm Michael Kastner. Thank you, Michael. Such interesting, interesting museum. Well, it's about 14 minutes past the hour. I'm Sherry Brownrigg, and coming up, we've got a wonderful conversation I've been looking forward to all morning long about a great documentary that's coming out for National Vocation Awareness Week called Souls in the Game. You do not want to miss this interview. Stay tuned, because we'll be right back on Catholic Connection. This program is brought to you by the following nonprofit underwriter. Finding health care for yourself and your family can be isolating and confusing. 
That's why the Catholic Health Alternative, CMF Curo, is offering Christ-centered health sharing for individuals and families along with new wellness services to help heal and restore your whole person, spirit, mind, and body. Visit cmfcuro.com to find out more. That's cmfcuro.com, where you can experience Christ's healing love in your health and wellness. Welcome to an Advanced Dentistry Center family. This is Dr. Metti and our team strives to treat you like family in a loving and compassionate way as we focus on serving you in a Christ-like manner. We do this by emphasizing prevention and general well-being for a lifetime. Our private practice is small, personal, state-of-the-art, and innovative with the goal to educate and motivate our patients in improving their oral health. It is through a partnership with you that you will achieve the goals for your smile. Advanced Dentistry is serious about the level of care we provide with attention to details and an exceptional level of care, skill, and judgment. We are thrilled for the opportunity to serve you. Dr. Matthew and the team invite you to visit them at AdvancedDentistryCenter.com or call them at 248-594-9592. That's 248-594-9592. AdvancedDentistryCenter.com People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and lighthouse work. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. Welcome back to Catholic Connection. Sherry Kennedy Brownrigg in for the pilgrimaging, if that is a word. Teresa Tamio, she's on the La Dolce Fide, the Sweet Life of Faith pilgrimage with her husband, Deacon Dom. So prayers for both of them and all those who are on that pilgrimage. Well, as I told you before the break, I've really been looking forward to this interview all morning long because it's about a great documentary called Souls in the Game. Um, that looks at the life of a vocation of a seminarian in the seminary through the lens of sports and faith. And we have Deacon Marcelo Ferrari with us right now, born in Mexico, lived much of his childhood in Europe before arriving in Massachusetts for high school. And now he's in the seminary there at St. John's and with us on the phone today. Good morning, Deacon. Good morning. Great to, great to be here. Excited to share a little bit more about uh, yeah this great documentary. Yeah. So first of all, talk a little bit about St. John's Seminary. Just give us a a thumbnail sketch. Yeah, so St. John's Seminary is located in Brighton, Massachusetts. Um, So it services, obviously, the Archdiocese of Boston, but alongside a lot of other regional dioceses in the New England region. So most of our seminarians are studying for Boston, but we have a handful of others from different religious orders and different groups all in the New England area. And how did St. John's Seminary, how did they decide to make this wonderful documentary? Yeah, so it was really the the brainchild of now Father Peter Shripa. He was the, the, the priest, then seminarian, who just wanted to have a little extracurricular activity, a way for guys to, to hang out outside of the strict house formation that we have typically. And he started this basketball team, and it just started picking up steam, and little by little uh, garnered a lot of interest from either formators or different uh, lay people outside of the seminary. And as it gained momentum and traction, uh, eventually we were approached by the Archdiocese of Boston if they could do uh, a documentary kind of covering, yeah, the life of a seminarian, the life of the team, and in particular with an emphasis on the, the vocational element of this, of this team. So I understand from the press release that uh, Souls in the Game follows the St. John Seminary basketball team as they travel to the DeSales Invitational, which is a national basketball tournament created for teams of seminary students. I was really surprised to find out that that actually existed. So, um, <laughs> so <yeah>. was I. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you didn't start playing basketball until you came to the seminary, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, I played absolutely no basketball before 
before entering these hallowed halls. <laughs> um, I, I did play sports. I was a big soccer player. I loved because we moved around a lot. Soccer was kind of the most consistent sport to play, but any number of other of other things. So mildly athletic, uh, as I like to say. But, mildly athletic. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> but basketball, not until not until I entered St. John's, um, and I was just like you say, I was just as surprised that there was not only a group of seminarians who was interested in playing sports, but actually a national tournament that held every year with 16 different regional uh, seminaries from across the United States that come together at the sales. And we actually get a chance to play on the the Bucks training court for the final. So it's a beautiful, beautiful arena, beautiful place to to get together and to, to play ball. Wow. What an experience, yeah. So going to the documentary again, how do you hope that souls in the game will change the popular percep- perception of who goes to seminary and, and who can go to seminary? Yeah, I think, you know, for so many years there was a great, um, a great void in the intellectual formation that we received in the seminaries. And luckily the Church, you know, across the United States in particular, has really emphasized that element. And now having kind of cemented those roots, we're now focusing on the humanity, right? The humanity of Christ, the humanity, you know, we, we live an incarnational faith. And so, um, yeah, the, the seminary basketball team in particular just brings us to the day-to-day, the real, the human element of our faith. I think, at least when I think about it personally, one of the, one of the great fears for me going into seminary was this idea of the cross. I mean, we all face it. We all have to, right? That's what Christ promises on, on earth. He says, in this world, you will have the cross and persecution. And and for many, that is just such a daunting reality, especially if you're considering a vocation, that many shy away from it because they think of Catholicism and we don't want to white-knuckle our way to heaven. Right? That's not what Christ is calling us to. And sports has a very unique way of approaching suffering. You know, when we think of suffering, it's easy, like I said, to think of this drudgery. But with sports in particular, what happens is that we see the cross, we see the sufferings, but all of a sudden they're transformed into this joyous, fraternal, great growth experience that all of us can relate to and all of us can actually not only relate to but enjoy and deeply um, appreciate so it gives this unique perspective on the cross that I think uh, is so lacking in the Church today, just a, a recognition that, yes, you will have the cross, but the cross is beautiful. You know, the, the man, the happiest man on earth is, is Christ on the cross, Christ crucified. Mm. And I think that's something that our culture uh, has a hard time seeing, but sports, you know, we, we live in, especially in New England over here, you know, we love all of our sports teams, so it offers a very unique lens into the cross. That's just beautiful. I love that phrase, the happiest man on earth is Jesus on the cross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, even just on a practical level too, something like this, I haven't been able to see the full documentary. I've seen the trailer, but I'm so excited to see it all. I think there is such a misunderstanding of the life of a priest and the life of a seminarian as well, that it's all trouble. It's all you know, study, and there is no no real outlet of joy or the kinds of things that that you know people who go into other vocations might experience. And seeing young seminarians really enjoying playing basketball together, I could see a whole generation of young men taking a second look at the priesthood. What do you think about that, yeah. Deacon? I I completely agree. I think. Yeah, we're called, Christ says, you know, I came that they might have life and have it to the full. And that is everything. That includes, you know, the tremendous joys that come from all of life's experiences. You know, it's not limited to a classroom, of course. It's not limited to this lone ranger, you know, sadly wasting away his life in a, in a rectory by himself. That's, that's not a known vocation. <laughs> you know, the priesthood is meant to be, you know, iron sharpening iron. It's, it's, a, it's a great fraternity. And above all, I mean, there's a reason we call father's father. There is a, a deep, even familial relationship that the priest needs to have 
not only with his brother priests, but with his parish. And, and that comes through these day-to-day shared life experiences. You know, it's funny, I, I also teach a confirmation class, and when they heard about this basketball team, they were all so excited to come watch a bunch of seminarians play, to visit the seminary, to, to see, because they realize, oh, yeah, our faith is, as mentioned earlier, it's an incarnational faith, right? Christ comes yeah. to meet us in every aspect of our lives, every aspect of our lives. There's no no corner of life that God forbids, right? Sin, of course, being the, the, the exception. Um, yeah. But yeah, Christ, Christ comes to bring joy, and, and that's found everywhere. That is found everywhere. Yeah, if, I really encourage everyone listening, bring this to your parish. If you've got a Catholic school, make sure it's shown, soulsinthegame.com. We've got a short break, but we'll be back with Deacon Marcello Ferrari and talk more about souls in the game. So don't you go anywhere. Catholic Connection, Sherry Brown, again for Teresa Tamio, who's on the 2023 La Dolce Fide, the Sweet Life of Faith pilgrimage. Pray for her, pray for Deacon Dom, her husband, who is there with her, and pray for all those folks who are on pilgrimage with Teresa and Deacon Dom. And we have another deacon, a transitional deacon with us right now, Deacon Marcello Ferrari, studying for the priesthood for the Archdiocese of Boston at St. John's Seminary. We're talking about the exciting documentary Souls in the Game that has been released just in time for National Vocation Awareness Week. And uh, Deacon and I were talking during the break that this is such an important thing, knowing the way that God speaks to young men using a documentary like this and using that full incarnation that uh, that we inherit as uh, as human beings sports is such a natural thing yes seminarians priests <laughs> they are athletic they do live normal lives and it's such a great way for the lord to really sort of blast through i think some of the misconceptions some of the noise that is out there with maybe sometimes just the surprise of seeing all these seminarians playing basketball and playing basketball pretty well, including you, Deacon. <laughs> yes, we, we do have a lot of fun out there. Um, yeah, it's it's a very special, special time on the court. <laughs> yeah. Well, what life lessons did you and your teammates learn from training for and competing in the basketball tournament? I'm sure it was probably something that was really um, not, not life-changing. You've changed, you know, you've really committed your life to Christ, but something that really enhanced your life. Yeah, I think... You know, you're talking about vocations and what, especially for young men, one of the quotes that really moved me when I was considering my vocation was this quote from, I believe it's Pope Benedict, who said, you know, we're, or it might have been John Paul II, but he said, we're not called to lives of comfort, we're called to lives of greatness. Yeah, it's Benedict. And he was saying that, and I was so moved, he was like, we're, we're called to lives of greatness, not lives of comfort. And for me, that was something that I knew that I wanted. I knew that I desired this great life, uh, a life of greatness that was not, you know, limited to desk work or... And, and at that time, I considered, of course, you know, a family, as every as every young man should. But then, when I heard about the priesthood, in particular when I heard about just the reality of a seminarian's life, it was so important for me to hear that, oh, this isn't something reserved for kind of the the quiet people in the back of the pews or who are always there, who, you know, lived a, you've known since they were five years old that they've been praying the Mass <laughs> as kids, you know. You hear all these beautiful stories, and of course there are many men who are called in that way, but but it's also for the men like me who, you know, maybe wandered from their faith in high school and then finally, uh, by God's grace, were called back into the fold, as it were, and and I knew I wanted this great life, this great, great life, and for me, recognizing that on the court, recognizing that, okay, this is what God is calling me to, a complete, a complete gift of self that extends so far beyond the chapel, right? It's, it's so true of all of our prayer lives. We, we can't allow our faith and our prayer to be cocooned into the church walls. That's, that's never the vision of Christ. It's, you hear about it in Acts all the time. These men were, 
we're going out. And our prayer needs to inform that. It needs to inform all of our lives. It needs to spill out uh, and flood the world from from all of the churches. And and to me, that's what the basketball team offered. It offered just another another place for Christ to reign, another, you know, from the wood of the cross to the wood of the court, as we would say during practice. He he reigns everywhere, and, and for us to, to, to encounter him on the court, to encounter him outside of the seminary walls, was practice for our priesthood, for us to recognize, you know, we recognize Christ everywhere. We recognize him not only on the court in our brothers, but then on the streets with our parishioners, with, with the poor, with the needy, with whoever we encounter. And you'll be ordained, was it May 24th of next year, May 25th? May 25th, yeah. May 25th. I knew there was a four in there somewhere. It's 2024, <laughs> so. Um, yes, and we'll certainly yeah. pray for you. But how do you see that the the lessons that you have learned participating in this basketball league and the tournament and then ultimately the film, how do you see them impacting your ministry once you are ordained to the priesthood? Yeah, so as I mentioned, of course, the the great lesson you learn from encountering Christ on the court is just a practice for, for seeing him on the streets and in the parishioners. Sure. But then on top of that, there's also this deep fraternal aspect, right, this deep fraternity that is forged uh, through sport. I think as men in particular, that's a really uh, a privileged place for, for men to, to grow in unity. You know, say men that suffer together, have a unique way of, of developing this great fraternity. So for me, that was another huge, um, huge joy of this team that we became more than, more than a team. We really were a fraternity of brothers. And, and the other great lesson for me, just to share one little story, was a lesson on fatherhood. I remember we were practicing early in the morning one day, 5 a.m., and then we get up, run up the hill, and, and get to the gym. And we arrived at the gym, and I saw my formator, who was the priest who was in charge of my formation. And he was up there waiting for us at the gym, and I was so nervous. I thought, oh, I'm, <laughs> I must have forgotten something. I must have messed something up for him to be up here at this at this ungodly hour. <laughs> and I come over to him, all nervous, you know, tail between the legs. And I'm like, hey, Father, are you looking for, for someone in particular? Were you hoping to to catch up with somebody and he very calmly said, no. And I said, oh. And all of a sudden it dawned on me that he was just there to watch us practice. Mm-hmm. He just came, like a father does, to watch his children play basketball. And it really dawned on me, wow, we, we are called to be fathers. And the fatherhood is not so not so different from the fatherhood of a family. There is this this deep, natural instinct to to shepherd even children. And so, yeah, just seeing Father on the side of the court there in the morning, drinking this coffee, watching us all play, just because he knew we were practicing was just such a great lesson for me to, to take into my priesthood. Mm, that is so beautiful. And we're talking about the documentary film, Only 30 Minutes, Souls in the Game. And you can find it at soulsinthegame.com or search it on YouTube, find it there, watch it. And if you're listening right now thinking, i got to get this in the schools, yes, you do. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And Deacon, we have only a few minutes left here, but how can this documentary and its complimentary discussion questions be used as a tool to promote vocations to the priesthood? Just like you said, bring this in front of all the kids. I think it's a very, very approachable documentary, right? It's not coming at them with deep theological truth. It's it's meeting them where they are. It's meeting people where they are at. And we very intentionally structured the documentary as just an invitation to encounter Christ. So regardless of whether or not these kids, you know, may or may not be considering a vocation at this time, it's a perfect, a perfect venue for them to just experience what an encounter with Christ looks like. I think we forget that there's a very natural reality that we can all experience with that, with with our journey towards Christ. And the documentary offers a very easy venue. 
soulsinthegame.com. Find it. That's Deacon Marcello Ferrari. Deacon, thank you for being with us and know that we'll be praying for you as you head towards ordination. And my friends listening, don't go anywhere because we have a lot more of Catholic Connection to come. We'll be right back. You're hearing Catholic Connection, Sherry Kennedy Brownrig in for Teresa Tamio, who's on the La Dolce Fide, the Sweet Life of Faith pilgrimage. And she's there with Deacon Dom, her husband. So really wonderful. Pray for them. Pray for all those on that pilgrimage. And we've been talking this morning a lot about issue one in Ohio. It's on the ballot for Election Day tomorrow. And really vague language. There's a lot that's being said on both sides, and we're going to unpack it a little bit here with Michael New, who's a research associate at the Catholic University of America and a senior associate scholar at the Charlotte Lozier Institute. And he's got a blog post on the National Review online, nationalreview.com, about the fact that, yes, this would endanger Ohio's parental involvement law, which is something that's on the books now. Michael, thank you so much for for coming on the show with us. And I know that you're really focusing on a lot. Here it is the day before election, so you have a lot on your mind. But let's sort of narrow in on this issue one on the ballot in Ohio. Tell us, first of all, what is being proposed with this amendment? Yeah, sure. So right tomorrow, uh, Ohio voters can be voting on a couple ballot propositions. One is issue one. And what issue one would do is it would place legal abortion you know, in the state constitution. You know, after the Dobbs decision, uh, supporters of legal abortion have turned to direct democracy. Uh, they're putting the abortion on the ballot in many states. And Ohio is the latest state where they're trying to place the right to an abortion in the state constitution. So uh, this is, I would say, the most important election in 2023. Uh, the, our opponents have done well, but they've done well in often politically liberal states. You know, Ohio was a red state. It was carried by President Trump twice. So I think it's really important that you know pro-lifers win this one. You know, it's one thing to lose in California and Vermont, uh, but losing Ohio would would be a setback. Yeah, it's such an important state all around, you know, in all elections. Well, you talk in your in your blog post, well, first of all, there's really vague language about this. And there are many, many uh, pro-life, those on the front lines, including you, who say that passing this issue would actually endanger parental rights, Ohio's parental involvement law. And those on the other side, the pro-abortion media, they're really downplaying this and saying, no, 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 it's fine. It's not going to be a big deal. But you don't agree with that. Why is that? Absolutely not. I mean, you know, essentially, parental involvement laws have always been, you know, litigated in many other states. And there are examples of other states, you know, where, you know, the whose constitutions really don't guarantee any kind of race on abortion where these pro-life parental involvement laws have been struck down. And in this National Review Online blog post, you know, I cite uh, several examples. You know, uh, New Jersey and California, courts there both struck down parental involvement laws. You know, neither state had an explicit right to an abortion, but uh, the courts argued that these laws violated a right to privacy. In Alaska, a parental involvement law was struck down. Uh, again, no right to an abortion that was explicit, but the court said it violated constitutional equal protection provisions. Uh, I think the state that really concerns me the most is, is Florida, uh, because in Florida in 1980, they passed a right to privacy in the state constitution. It was a legislative referendum. It was debated by the legislature that put on the ballot for people to vote on. This privacy referendum was about government surveillance and, like, warrantless wiretaps. Abortion was, like, really never an issue. It didn't come through the legislative debate. It didn't come through the campaign. But not once but twice, the Florida Supreme Court struck down the state parental involvement law claiming it violated a right to privacy, even though this privacy amendment was had nothing to do with abortion. So again, courts have always been uh, very tough on parental involvement laws. There are many states whose state constitutions don't have you know explicit protections of legal abortion, but parental involvement laws have been struck down there. And I think should issue one pass, the same thing could happen in Ohio. Michael, what does that look like on the ground? What is it? What is it like for parents when these things are struck down? 
essentially, you know, parental involvement laws are just you know a common sense pro-life law. I mean, right now Ohio has a parental involvement law. It's been in effect since 1990. It just says that you know a minor girl who wants to have an abortion needs to obtain consent from either her mother or her father. And uh, you know, again, I think this is just you know common sense. I know when I was in school, I couldn't get a Tylenol. Uh, without my parents' permission, yeah. uh, you know. So I mean, just even basic things like that. Typically, you need a parental permission. And there's also situations where you know minor girls sometimes just don't know their medical history uh, the way their parents would. And there's situations where they might have a reaction to the anesthesia, or they might have some other negative reaction. And obviously, this is a you know irreversible, you know life-changing decision. You know that a teenager very often is not going to you know have tr- is going to have trouble making on her own. So yeah, I think these laws are just common sense. You know, there's good evidence, say, lower minor abortion rates. Uh, we also see good evidence, say, lower things like STI rates among teens. There was a good study that came out a while ago saying these laws reduce teen suicide rates. So this is very sound public health. Uh, these are good laws. They pull well. Over 30, even before Dobbs, about 30 states had them in effect. Uh, and again, this all may be jeopardized if issue one does pass. So in looking at this, uh, you know, this is something that's happening in so many different states. Are there any other states that are actually having something like this happening right now for tomorrow's Election Day? Well, I think the other side is going to wait and see what happens. You know, that uh, essentially if people who support legal abortion win, they're going to start pushing this in other states. If they lose, they may take a step back. But I've heard other states, Missouri is a state that, you know, is being targeted. Uh, Florida is a state that's being targeted. Uh, I've heard that potentially Arizona is a state that's being targeted. You know, again, I think the way that to stop this is for pro-lifers to win. The other side is doesn't want to waste money on campaigns that are going to lose. So uh, it's a little bit up in the air, but it's in flux. Uh, again, if the other side does win tomorrow, I think it'll be emboldened. I think they're going to start pushing these abortion ballot propositions elsewhere. If they lose, they may take a step back. And, again, they don't want to waste money on a campaign that's likely to lose. And you mentioned just a little while ago that Ohio is such an important state because, you know, as goes Ohio, so goes many other elections, and so sometimes goes the U.S. And I did read that uh, pro-abortion, I don't even know what to call them, uh, organizations, lobbies, etc., they have spent something like three to one is the ratio to pro-life organizations. Um, is that something that you know anything about? Can you comment on that? I mean, ballot propositions have always been tough for pro-lifers. Um, I mean, one, I, have a, I have a background in political science. One thing we know is that money does have an impact. And um, unfortunately, uh, abortion is a multi-billion dollar industry in this country. And, uh, you know, groups that support legal abortion tend to be very well-funded. You know, pro-lifers are often at a financial, financial disadvantage. Uh, but, you know, pro-lifers have raised enough money to run some good ads and get the word out. You know, I mean, uh, we have worked hard on the ground. Uh, we have people canvassing door to door. You know, one thing I'm reminding people is that the media doesn't decide elections. Polls don't decide elections. Money doesn't decide elections. Voters decide elections. So, yeah, it does put us at a disadvantage. Uh, but, you know, we have pushed back. Money has been raised. You know, sometimes manpower volunteers are more important than money. So, uh, again, it's, it's an obstacle, but it's not an insurmountable one. Well, that's right. Yeah, it is not an insurmountable one because, after all, you know, we have we have right on our side. We have God on our side. And many of these these uh, pro-abortion groups, they're out of state. And, you know, that's where a lot of that money is coming from. Any final thoughts as we wrap up our discussion on this, Michael? You know, I just want to give pro-lifers out there some encouragement. You know, if you're in Ohio, you have an important job to do. Uh, don't sit this one out. Make sure you go to the polling place tomorrow and vote no. And I'll just say, if we don't get the outcome we want, you know, don't despair. I mean, we're in this for the long haul. No one promised us a smooth glide path to victory. There's going to be aggravations, disappointments, and setbacks along the way. But we've made real progress building a culture of life. You know, one thing we've done, you know, even before Dobbs, is cut the abortion rate in half in this country. So the work we do is valuable, whether it's elections, whether it's pregnancy help, sidewalk counseling. Just keep doing what you're doing. You know, uh, we will be rewarded in the end.
Oh, that's so beautifully put. Michael New, thank you so much, a research associate at the Catholic University of America and a senior associate scholar at the Charlotte Lozier Institute. Thanks, and for all those in Ohio, remember, vote no tomorrow on Issue 1. Please, please, please don't believe what you're hearing in the media, in the pro-abortion media. So we've got more here on Catholic Connection. Gail Buckley-Berenger is coming up next. We're going to dive into Scripture, and I can't wait. Stay with us. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. While Mary's not mentioned as often as Moses, not mentioned as often as Peter or Paul, her role in Scripture is even more significant. She's absolutely unique. There are many prophets, there are many apostles, but there's only one God-bearer. There are a lot of people who proclaim the Word of God. There's only one woman who bore the Word of God, quite literally, within her. She's utterly unique in that she literally, transmits the Word of God to the world. So when the Word of God wanted to take on human flesh, whose human flesh did he choose? It was Mary's. She donated out of her own life substance the flesh of Jesus. The body prepared for Christ is taken from the Blessed Mother. Nobody else in salvation history occupies such a role. Cresta in the Afternoon Weekdays from 4 to 6 on Ave Maria Radio and the Ave Maria Radio app. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. From Affirm Films comes Journey to Bethlehem. This wasn't a dream. An angel came to me. You are in danger, Mary. This child. What is his name? Jesus. Journey to Bethlehem, starring Fiona Palomo, Milo Mannheim, Lecrae, Joel Smallbone, and Antonio Banderas. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Be in theaters everywhere this Friday. Soundtrack also available. More information is at journeytobethlehem.com. Welcome back to Catholic Connection. Sherry Kennedy Brownrigg and for Teresa Tamio, who's on the La Dolce Fide Sweet Life of Faith pilgrimage. And we've got with us Gail Buckley Berenger from Catholic Scripture Study International. Hello, Gail. How are you? Good morning, Sherry. I'm great. I hope you are too. I am, and I'm so excited for the scripture today. So, what is it? Okay, today it's from 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 9, and it says, The coming of the lawless one by the activity of Satan will be with all power and with pretended signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are to perish because they refuse to love the truth and so to be saved. Mm. So, you know, it's pretty profound. And, you know, the lawless one, of course, uh, St. Paul is referring to the Antichrist. Some people think the Antichrist is Satan, but it's not. He's not. The Antichrist is someone who works for Satan, someone who's used by Satan, and that someone may appear to be a good person, but if that one is, you know, might be a good person, but one is in sin, and he's not a believer. And um, so even though um, they are a Christian but not living according to God's commandments, that person can be used by Satan. You know, when I was a little girl, um, you know, Sherry, I used to think, you know, the Antichrist would be obvious, you know, like with the tail, you know, mm-hmm. um, pitchfork and all that stuff. I thought, you know, no one would be, excuse me, I'm getting hoarse. I'm thinking no <laughs> one would, you know, would follow anybody that's evil. Why would they do that, you know? But Satan doesn't work that way. As you know, he doesn't show his true colors. He tricks us into believing something that's good for us and or fun, or beautiful, and so we often, those things will lead us into sin. For example, sex is good and wonderful between a husband and a wife, but Satan tempts us and lures people into having sex outside of marriage. You know, of course, that's fornication, and that can even lead to adultery, and of course, both are mortal sins. So, anyway, when St. Paul says that those who perish because they refuse to love the truth, he doesn't mean they just die. 
but he means they, you know, they're condemned to hell. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm really losing my voice here. Anyway, he goes on to say that, you know, God sends them a strong delusion to make them believe what is false, so that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but, you know, instead they have pleasure and unrighteousness. You know, uh, now, probably need to clarify that. I don't mean that, you know, God purposely you know, makes them that way. God wants everyone to be saved, and he's not yes. He's not causing them to be, you know, to do this. I'm saying that because of their unbelief and the rejection of truth, that he allows them to wallow in their sin of delusion, you know? In other words, you know, he's basically saying, okay, well, you have free will, and if you choose evil, so be it. And you've made your choice, and now, you know, you're completely blind to the truth. God gives us, you know, many chances to repent and, you know, turn back to him, but they don't. So they condemn themselves, these people that, you know, go to hell. Yeah. They choose to believe the lies instead of turning to the truth, which is God. And they, they like the lies and they embrace the deception and become evil. As St. Paul, you know, says, they find pleasure in unrighteousness. God will not take away our free will. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> I don't know why it'll take a voice when I try to be on the radio. <laughs> That's right, of course, yeah. Well, why don't you take a quick drink here, and then I um I was thinking about this. Yeah, this this verse is so amazing that the Antichrist, you know, with all power and with pretended signs and wonders, and I think we've been talking about abortion, for example, a lot this morning right. as we always do, and that's one of those things that is so. Um, presented as, oh, it's a right for women, and it's a solution for women, and, you know, right. it's it's helping the woman to live the life she wants to live, and it really just sort of glosses over everything, turns a terrible evil into something good, and that's kind of what we have to be on the, on the lookout Absolutely. for, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, sin blinds people. That's why the Pharisees rejected Jesus. Their pridefulness is, you know, it's a huge, pride is a huge sin. You know, the Bible says, you know, pride becomes comes before the fall. And so their sin blinded them to the truth, which was Jesus. You know, and um, Jesus, speaking of himself, he said that the light had come into the world, but people loved the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil and they didn't want them to be shown. So this is, you know, we have free will and we can choose good or bad. Yeah. And sadly, many today have turned away from truth and evil is prevalent, really yeah. prevalent now. So true, Gail. And Gail, we're yeah. at the end of our time, but thank you so sure. much, Gail Buckley Berenger from Catholic. Talk to you, yes, great talking to you as well, Catholic Scripture Study International. Thanks for being with me today. I'll be back Thursday. In the meantime, many prayers for you, and have a blessed day. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.